Well, good morning, all of you in the Vine Church family joining us on Facebook today live. Appreciate you. Uh, I do appreciate all of your prayers. Brooke and I both appreciate your prayers and so many of you reaching out to see how we are. Uh, good morning, Rusty, Michelle, Jason. Love you guys. Thanks for chiming in here on Facebook and saying good morning. Uh, once again, like I said, thank you so much for your prayers. Brooke and I are doing better, and uh, we are glad that we did not have it near as bad as it could have been, uh, but also glad that we did not have in-person service today because I'm definitely not over it. I'm getting close, uh, but not over it completely. So uh, I'm going to do my best today to stay engaged and to be as compelling as normal <laughs> I brought Brooke with me today, so there's someone here in the building that can laugh at my jokes and laugh at me, so it feels like at least, uh, I know she loves me, and I know she's watching. So, uh, real quick, next day, next day, next Sunday, we're having our Christmas service. Most likely, uh, if all goes according to plan, we'll be here in the building together. Candlelight service, popcorn, candy. Uh, we'll have a fun day that day. Also, we will give to the One Day to Feed the World campaign that we've been talking about. What this campaign is, it is all going towards Convoy of Hope, and it's going towards their feeding program. They feed thousands of children all across the world through this program. So each of us have been praying about one day to commit. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. <laughs> That, that, that's how I'm going to know if someone comments. Brooke's going to laugh at your comment, and that's my cue to look down and see if someone has commented. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, not Stephen, all the Burnettes. Love you all. Rhonda, Asher, Aaron, love you all so much. Good morning. We've been praying about giving one day's wages to feed kids around the world through the One Day to Feed the World program. So I'm not going to show a video here today, but I have uploaded a video to Facebook that will premiere at 11 a.m. this morning. So right after I'm done talking, uh, please watch that video. It's a full story uh, of another family that their every day was transformed by our day uh, or people like us who are given one day's wages to the feeding program. So I encourage you to watch that. Next Sunday is that offering, although you can give towards that at any point in time. I know some of you already have. On our website, vinetrustful.com, you go to give, there's a drop-down box, uh, the drop-down says general, which is the normal giving, click the drop-down, and you'll see one day to feed the world. Select that to give directly to that program. Everything that's given uh, using that drop-down, using that link, goes to one day feed the world program to feed children around the world. So, we are in... The second week of our series called Opening Joy. I'm going to pray, then we are going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. God, we thank you that even in odd times, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. You stay with us, you are in us, you are with us, you are around us every moment of every day. I pray that as we talk about opening joy this morning, that you would show us something new, reveal something to our hearts and our minds 
through your word that is for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we started out this series last week talking about how to open joy in joyless circumstances. We looked at a five-step process. The first part of that process is we give God our problems in prayer. Second step, we fix our thoughts on the right things. Then we choose contentment, we choose faith, and we choose hope. If you didn't miss that last week, I'd encourage you to listen to it. Uh, It's a very personal message. It's something that I do almost every single morning is walk through this process of opening joy in my own life. Well, today we're moving on to week two, and we're talking about how to open joy through living in the family of Jesus. This series comes from Luke chapter 2, since it's the Christmas season. This is when the angels showed up to the shepherds, and they told the shepherds. Suddenly an angel appeared among them. They were, the shepherds were terrified. The angels reassured them. Here's what they said. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, Throughout this Christmas season, it's a season, okay Siri, uh, that's funny, I don't know if you could hear that through the microphone, but my iPad, uh, the, the virtual lady, I won't say her name, because I bet she'll start talking to me again, started talking to me. So, uh, I don't know what that was about, I must have said something that sounded like her name, but this Christmas season is all about the joy that's available to every single one of us through Jesus. So last week we talked about, that's the cheat sheet, right? That's the answer to, to, every, to, to, to this three-week series. Every single one of us can know true joy by truly knowing Jesus. Last week we were in Philippians chapter 4. This week we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter 2. <laughs> Michelle, look down. Michelle said she needs joy. Uh, and and uh, I think Michelle's an, no, no, I think Michelle's an iPhone user. I know Josh is an Android user. But anyways, uh, she does need joy, apparently. Well, today, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, back in 2004, Brooke and I worked at a youth camp called Youth for the Nations. It was a youth summer camp in Dallas, Texas. And a part of this youth camp, there was thousands of kids from all over, you know, really all over the U.S., but mainly the southern part of the U.S. that would drive from their home into this youth camp uh, for a week of being there. And so, you know, youth pastors would come, and then they would pay for their kids' camp. So they would bring large amounts, large amounts of cash to the youth camp. And so we, there was hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash that came in every single summer. And there was a very complicated, secure process that, uh, I, I don't know what you're saying, Brooke. Brooke's trying to comment to me. What? Yes, this is before we paid online. Absolutely. This is back in the day. Now, all you young teenagers out there in our church, all right, uh, you don't even know what this is like. But back in the day, everyone had to pay with either cash or check. You couldn't even pay online. So they'd bring hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash. And there was this secure process, and there were security guards that would take in, blah, blah, blah. But uh, one time, a couple of our friends, uh, Rob and Jennifer, they needed to go to Walmart and purchase a bunch of supplies for the camp. So they went to the finance office, and they got a bunch of petty cash to then take to Walmart and buy these supplies. They get all the supplies, I mean, hundreds of dollars 
uh, worth of supplies. They get to the checkout counter, and then they're handing, you know, the, the lady at the checkout counter these $100 bills. And nonchalantly, uh, you know, very kind of under the radar, uh, the lady at the checkout counter is just kind of looking at them, and then I guess she trips some alarm somewhere, and then she just kind of moves even more slowly, and then all of a sudden these security cards come out of nowhere, and they approach Rob and Jennifer, and they say, I'm sorry, can you two follow us? And Rob's like, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, what's going on? And they didn't tell them. They bring them into this room. It's this dim-lit, dark room with one single light above that's, like, crackling. I don't know if that's exactly the way it was, but that's how Rob told the story, like it was some movie. But they're sitting in there, and the security guards leave, and all of a sudden police officers come in, and he says, the, guy, the police officer comes, slams his hand on the table and says, what are you guys trying to pull? And at this point, Rob and Jennifer are freaked out. They have no idea, like, what is going on? Like, we don't know. What is going on? And they said, why are you trying to pay with counterfeit money? And Rob says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He explains the story. We're from a youth camp, all these people. So there's a couple things that I find interesting in this story. The first thing is someone paid for their Christian youth camp with counterfeit $100 bills. Now, I don't really know about all that. I mean, maybe they, they obviously needed Jesus, so they needed to be at that camp, but they used counterfeit money to pay for camp. Uncool. But then Rob and Jennifer are there. They explain everything. It took them hours and hours of calling people at the campground to them to figure this all out, and they finally let them go. But another thing interesting about this story is those $100 bills, they had passed through five, six people's hands before they reached the checkout counter, uh, the woman at the checkout counter. They had, uh, someone had given it to the youth pastor. Brooke is just laughing at me. I don't know why. Are you laughing at my story or just me? They <laughs> unlet them go. Might be a rough morning, people. I apologize. <laughs> they let them go. These $100 bills, they had passed through the youth pastor's hand, the person who accepted the money at the campground, the finance person, Robin, everybody until finally the person at the checkout counter, she was the one who had been trained to decipher the counterfeit from the real thing. The counterfeit from the real thing. Now, when it comes to opening joy in our lives, there are all kinds of counterfeit things around us. And the enemy, who is very real, would like us to try and find joy in one of the counterfeits of life instead of the instead of the true uh, places where we find joy, which is Jesus. So this morning in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at some counterfeits and some real things. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul opens up and says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now remember, Paul is writing this while he's in jail, and he's writing it to the church of Philippi when they're far away. So he's not asking them to answer these questions. These are rhetorical questions. But what he's saying is, hey, you've experienced encouragement from belonging to Christ. Is there any encouragement? Yes. Is there any comfort from Christ's love? Yes. Overwhelmingly, yes. Is there fellowship together in the Spirit? Absolutely. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Absolutely. Paul's saying this is what's taking place. So in verse 2, he says, then, because you've experienced these things, because these things are real, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another 
and working together with one mind and purpose. And make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Write this down. Number one, how do we open joy by living in the family of Jesus? Okay, number one, we open joy by working together, not competing. We open joy in our lives by working together, not competing. Paul said we are to be working together with one mind and one purpose. Here's the deal. We are all on the same team. And we've said this so many times before, but it's still true. We are all on the same team. We are not competing against each other. We are not competing against other churches. It's not a competition. Yet, competition offers a counterfeit to true joy. Competition offers a winner. But competition also offers a loser. And in the kingdom of God, when there is a winner and there is a loser, we all lose. In the kingdom of God, we are all on the same team. We are to be working together with one mind, one purpose, fighting against a very real enemy, which is not, the fam- not in the family of Jesus. It's not even flesh and blood. Paul says that the enemy that we fight against is not, in- it's not flesh and blood. It's the-, the dark powers at work in this world. You know, when our son Ethan was four years old, he played on his first soccer team. And it was quite comical watching four-year-olds. If you've never watched four-year-olds play soccer, it's hilarious. It's like herding uh, blind cats. It's quite funny. But there is this boy on Ethan's team who was super into soccer, very aggressive. But he would run around every Saturday morning, and he would push kids down on the ground that were on his own team so that he could take the ball away from them and, and try to go score. So he just did it over and over again. The coaches would talk to him. His parents would yell from the sidelines. And it kind of became this rallying cry from the sidelines. Like his parents and the coaches, they were always yelling to him, stop pushing your teammates. You're on the same team. You're on the same team. I can't tell you how many times I want to look at Jesus' followers and the way that we treat one another and yell out, we're on the same team. We're on the same team. We open joy when we don't see other Jesus followers as competitors, but we see them as teammates. The problem is our human nature doesn't always like that. Our human nature says, well, I want to be the winner. Our human nature isn't a team player. Our human nature isn't out to see the team, isn't out to see the family win. Our human nature doesn't care about the family win. It cares about the personal win. We find joy when we work together, whenever we understand that if one of us wins, we all win, and then we all celebrate that the family has won. So how do we know if we truly are uh, having a mindset of working together and not competing against one another? Well, here's the litmus test, all right? I'm going to give you the litmus test to see if you personally are focused on working together and not competing, whenever you hear of someone else's success, what is your immediate response? When you hear of another Jesus follower's success, the promotion, uh, the, the missions trip, the, the, the giving, the, you know, uh, 
winning a soul to Jesus, whatever it may be, like whatever it is, when you hear of someone else's success in the workplace, uh, in the church family, in your immediate family, when you hear of someone else's success, what is your immediate response? Are you happy for them? Is our first response joy at their success? Or are you immediately thinking about how their situation affects you? Or are you frustrated that they were successful and you were not? Do you feel an overwhelming joy and to be able to celebrate with them a joy for the team? Or do you feel a sadness that it wasn't you who won the victory? Whenever you hear of someone else's failure, what is our immediate response? Are we happy that they failed? Because in some way maybe it will help us look better. Or are we sad at their sadness? We open joy when we work together with one mind, one purpose, and we don't compete against one another. Number two, we open joy by seeking humility instead of human recognition. We open joy by seeking humility instead of human recognition. Paul goes on, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Now, I wrote it the way I wrote number two, seeking humility, because humility is something that we are to be in constant pursuit of. I don't think humility is is a destination we arrive at. I think it's kind of a lifelong pursuit that we, we seek after humility. We're constantly evaluating ourselves and seeing, is there pride in my heart? Is there pride in my life? And if, we, and if so, we go before God and say, God, I desire to be humble. We seek humility instead of seeking human recognition. Human recognition is another counterfeit. It, is, uh, it offers a joy that is fleeting. But seeking human recognition doesn't provide lasting joy. When we seek human recognition, really, we're chasing after a rabbit that we'll never be able to catch. Paul says, don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Human recognition is a cheap counterfeit that doesn't offer lasting joy. You know, a number of years ago, I think I've told this story before, but I like it, so I'm telling it again. If you haven't heard it, great. If you've heard it, oh well. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, we were living in Colorado, and I was having trouble with uh, my blood sugar levels and went to the doctor, and so so I started working out, and uh, I started lifting weights because the doctor said when I start lifting weights, and as you can tell, I've not continued that practice, but this was a number of years ago, and I started lifting weights, and I found myself going to the gym, and I'd be sitting on a machine, you know, and, and, and lifting the weights, and if I found, if, if I saw that someone else was going to come and use the same machine that I was on, I would kind of wait until they turned their back, and then I would take that pin that was on 30 pounds, and I'd move it down to like 90 pounds. So when they got on the machine, they would be like, Man, that guy must be really strong. He must be really strong if he's lifting those weights. And I did this tons of times. Like, in, I remember Brooke shaking her head like, that's ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. But I remember leaving the gym one day, 
feeling like such an idiot. Like, why, why do I do that? And then this thought crossed my mind. Am I working out so that I can be healthy? Or am I working out so that I can impress other people? Am I working out so that I can be healthy or impress others? We should ask ourselves that same question whenever we do good works. Are we doing good things because they're good things to do and because we want to be a blessing to other people? Or are we doing those to impress others? As we read this verse, we've got to ask ourselves that question. Am I living my life to impress others? Or am I living my life humbly, having the same attitude that Christ Jesus When we live our lives in humility, choosing contentment like we talked about last week, we will possess a joy that isn't circumstantial. We will possess a true joy. How many times has your joy been stolen or how uh, you've seen that you're not living joyfully because of someone else's negative opinion of you, your actions or, or whatever? How many times do we allow other people's Opinions of us rob and steal our joy. Are we living our lives to impress those so that their opinions of us steal our joy? You know, uh, one of the side effects of being sick for over a week now is I've had to watch a lot of movies. I just, I've had to. I've had to watch a lot of movies. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go anywhere and do much, so I watched a lot of movies. Uh, I got bored with movies and shows after a while, so I started reading books. But I was watching uh, this movie called, I think it's The Darkest Hour, and it's about Winston Churchill uh, back during World War II. And as I'm watching this, you know, in my mind, learning all about Winston Churchill during history class growing up, he was this great leader, this incredible man who did all these great things. And we, when we learn about him, I mean, he's, he's celebrated, he is idolized, for, the, for his, uh, he was a great orator and, and a great leader. And he was idolized, you know, for, for being this incredible leader. So in my mind, learning about Winston Churchill, I just naturally thought everyone around him also knew that he was an incredible leader. And then watching that movie, I began to see all the opposition he faced and all the people around him that disagreed with what he was doing. And as I begin to think about him and some other leaders and some other movies I had watched of, of, some, of some great uh, historical leaders that all faced real-time, real-world opposition to their leadership while they were doing it, I begin to think, man, how many times do we allow other people's opinions and other people's uh, disagreement with us, uh, how many times do we allow them to affect our joy, to affect uh, our uh, motivation, but also to affect what we're doing? Great leaders say, here's the right thing to do, and I will do what's right no matter if people are agreeing with me or not. Are we living our lives to impress others, or are we living them in humility, having the same attitude that Christ Jesus had? See, the tough part about human recognition, it's a counterfeit, but human recognition is like a drug. Once you get human recognition, you naturally want more of it. So we have to constantly evaluate ourselves. Am I doing what I'm doing for the right reasons? Am I doing it 
uh, in humble submission to God? Or am I trying to impress other people? Number three, we open joy by living sacrificially. We open joy by having the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He lived a sacrificial life. He lived a life that was for other people. He sacrificed his own desires. He sacrificed his own will. He sacrificed his own comforts. He sacrificed his entire life for us. Paul goes on, verse 6. Verse 5 we read a moment ago. The same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is Christ Jesus. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. How many times in life have we maybe thought we've arrived at a certain place and so other things are now beneath us because we've arrived here? Jesus was fully God. He didn't think of his equality with God, his divine position, as something to hold on to, but instead as something to give up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated Jesus Because Jesus gave himself sacrificially, because he was in the highest place of honor, but he gave that up to take the lowly position of a slave, and he gave his life for us. God, in turn, raised him up. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We open joy by living sacrificially. See, joy comes when we give to others. Jesus said, it's better to give than receive. There is more joy in giving than receiving. We open joy in our lives, when we say, what can I do? What can I give up? What can I sacrifice so that someone else can be blessed? We are blessed to be a blessing. God gives us talents, abilities, resources, so that we can help other people. We open joy by working together, not competing against one another. We open joy by seeking humility instead of human recognition, and we open joy by living sacrificially for God and for others. Hey, it's the Christmas season. The Christmas season is all about giving. It's about the fact that God gave his one and only son, Jesus, that Jesus gave up his divine privileges and took the position of a slave, the humble form of a human being for us. Christmas is all about what can we give out of response for the gift we've received. We've received the gift of salvation. We've received the gift of eternal life. We've received the gift 
of true, lasting joy. What can we give to others? I know so many of you have already sacrificed one day's wages so that kids can have healthy meals, which will then empower them for the rest of their life. Thank you so much that you've been able to do that. Well, what else is God asking you to sacrifice? What else is God asking you? Maybe it's something small to give up. Maybe it's something big. Maybe it's to give up an entire week of your life next year to go on a mission trip. Maybe it's to give up uh, the next two Starbucks drinks that you were going to have and give them to someone else. Maybe it's simply uh, giving up some time in your day to pray for other people. Maybe it's to give up some time in your day to send encouraging texts or emails. What is God impressing upon you to sacrifice and to give up? Maybe it's small. Maybe it's huge. Maybe God, I didn't write this down on my notes. I'm just trying to think of things right now. Maybe God is, is really impressing upon you to give away a vehicle, like massive, huge. Give away a vehicle to someone who doesn't have one. I have no idea what God is asking you to sacrifice, but what is it that God is asking you to give up? There's so much more joy. Anytime we respond to God, now, I don't mean recklessly we give. We don't do it to impress other people. We don't do it to get human recognition. We do it whenever the Holy Spirit prompts upon us to give something sacrificially, and then we give out of whatever he's prompted us to give, and there's so much more joy in that, and then we watch how God gives back even more than we've given. But we, we don't give so that we can get. We give out of response to the Holy Spirit's impression in our heart and because we want to bless other people. What is it through this Christmas season God is asking you to sacrifice and to give to make someone else's day a little bit brighter? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first we say thank you for giving your son Jesus for us. Thank you that we don't have to go through this life alone. We don't have to walk through a pandemic alone. We don't have to walk through sickness alone. We don't have to walk through grief alone. God, we don't have to walk through pain and hardship alone, but you are with us every single day. We say thank you. We say thank you. God, I pray that we would open joy in our lives by giving our problems to you, by fixing our thoughts on the right things, by choosing contentment, choosing faith, choosing hope, we would open joy by working together with one mind, with one purpose. We would not look at each other as competitors. We would not compete. God, we would open joy by seeking humility and not seeking human recognition. God, we would open joy by living our lives sacrificially for you and for other people, just like Jesus did. God, I am so thankful for the people in this church family who are giving of their lives for you and for others. God, I pray a blessing over my church family. I pray that you bless them this week. They would have a wonderful week together. God, I pray we'd be able to meet together next Sunday with everyone healthy. But if not, we know you're still with us. God, we know that you've not left us. God, I pray, uh, but I do pray over this entire Christmas season that everyone in this church family would just have a wonderful, blessed, joy-filled time celebrating your birth. In Jesus' name. I love you all so much. Uh, can't wait to see you soon. Uh, good morning, Jack. I missed you earlier. 
I wanted to say good morning to you there. I love you so much. Hey, don't forget, you can always, you know, share the message on Facebook or you can share on your timeline. If there's someone else out there that you think would, would really benefit from one of these opening joy messages or whatever, you can share and you can add them specifically. You can tag them in that post. Uh, and I know I'm not the great at like the, the best, the greatest at mentioning that kind of stuff, but it's good, especially during this season and this time, uh, can be a powerful tool to help others. I love you. Brooke's smiling at me. She's laughing at me. Brooke is is uh, amused by my lack of social media prowess, even though I'm a techie, like I love tech. And I, I mean, you guys all know, like I, I do web design. Uh, Brooke says, wrap it up. Brooke's like, wrap it up, Nathan. But no, 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 it's only been 33 minutes. I can see the clock. We're okay here. And uh, anyways, I love you. We'll see you soon.